0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at infolifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com.
1: So I was going to try to. I was thinking my plan today was to finish up John chapter six, but there's 71 verses in John chapter six, and uh, I was like, you know, I don't know if I can read 71 verses, you know, in our time allotted. So we're going to do a little bit more today. We did some last week, a little bit more today, and then we're going to finish it up next week. And I think the following week is when uh, Jim's going to be speaking. I'll be out of town, Um, and so uh, what is that? The 14th. Um, of April. So really looking forward to finishing up chapter 6 next week. So we're not going to get to all of it today. It'll be kind of a cliffhanger. But before we get into chapter 6, I want you to give me your thoughts. Use some words, some adjectives uh, of if you knew a guy who showed up to the town. He had maybe one or two guys with him, at most 12. And he uh, started you know, meeting in different places, getting to know people, etc. And after a period of time, not a long period of time, there were at least 5,000 men following around with them. And plus wives, remember we talked about that last week, and the kids, you know, so maybe as many as 22, 30,000 people following this guy on any given Sunday. What would be some... Characteristics of this, that you would say, like an adjective, like this guy is, you know, w- going from hardly anything to having 30, potentially as many as 30,000 followers, church members, attenders on a regular basis on a Sunday morning. This guy is a mega- my- charismatic <laughs> mega church leader, mega church leader. Mega church leader. Yes. famous, all right, influential. All right. Cult. Cult. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are our thoughts? <laughs> you laughed, thought it was funny. I thought it was funny, too. Um, what are our thoughts? Dynamic, right? Uh, obviously, he knows how to take, you know, proverbial one dollar and turn it into two, you know? He's an entrepreneurial sort of for thinker who follow a loser sort of a deal, right? So. Generally speaking, positive, except for maybe, you know, the, the not Bob Jones, is the Jones, the, yeah. the, the Jim, Jim Jones, Jones, the Jim Jones people, right? Uh, except for that scenario. Um, let me flip the table a little bit. What if you found a guy who showed, who came to town and he had maybe as many as 30,000 people following him on any given Sunday? And in the course of, I don't know, one chapter, <laughs> a week if that he goes from having 30,000 people hanging on every word that he speaks to at most 12 people and one of those 12 he calls the devil what would you think about that guy who has a huge fall? Fo- he walks in first day on the job he's got 30,000 people and then in a week's period of time he's got a 12 and one of them he calls the devil what would you call that kind of that guy <laughs> all right does that give you the same warm fuzzy feelings loser okay you, you you're not thinking of man let me read his biography you're not thinking hey let, let's find his twitter and follow him going from 30,000 down dwindling his church down to
2: 11
1: yeah. plus a devil strange well, you already know where we're going, I'm sure. But in this cha- John chapter 6, it really forces us to reevaluate how we see leadership, how we see leaders. Because Jesus, he does show up in Capernaum and in, in, in Galilee with about 12 folk coming. He just came up from a festival. So there's 12, maybe more following, but at least the 12 disciples. And in a period of short period of time, There's the 5,000 men that he just fed last week. We talked about that, plus wives, children. Could be 30,000 people total. And at the end of the chapter, we're going to read it next week, but this is the chapter going from about 30,000-ish people, at least 5,000, but you got to add the wives and kids. At the end of the chapter, we're going to read this next week, the end of the chapter, Jesus says to his 12 disciples, he says, are you going to desert me also? For all the others had left him. So we tend to think of a leader who takes a mega church of 30,000 and dwindles it down, you know, grows it down to 11 plus a devil because he calls Judas a devil at the end of the chapter. We tend to think of him as a mismanager. We think of what sort of corruption has he caused, you know, what sort of, you know, issues has he raised, you know, what, but that's our savior. Why did that happen? Why at the beginning of the chapter, you have as many as I'm suggesting 30,000, at least five. Why does it go from that to barely anything? I mean, you can barely get a football team on the field with the 11 plus the devil. That's the referee always. <laughs> what 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 happens? Well, that's what we're really going to see this transition today. When we left off in John chapter 6, Jesus had fed the 5,000 and he had walked on water. And those two miracles, and they certainly were miracles, those two miracles Jesus explains, were to help give the people an understanding of what he came to do. He multiplied bread and he put bread into their bellies and he put something into them and they were satisfied. The scripture says that they were filled. They couldn't handle more, and there was 12 baskets left over. Then the disciples didn't understand what that was all about. And so a big storm came up and they were just trying their best, doing what they knew to do, row across the ocean, they're fishing. they know, I mean, the sea, they know how to do that. But the storm came, they couldn't do it. And so he gets in, walks on the water and he gets into their boat, remember? And immediately the scripture says they were at the other side in Capernaum. And so you have these two illustrations, these two things, these two pictures of Jesus putting bread into people to satisfy them. And then with the disciples, because they didn't understand what the bread was all about, he puts himself into the boat to get them where they wanted to go. And so we pick up on this passage, this event, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. And what's happened is the crowd that was following him, they saw the boat leave with the disciples and they knew Jesus was up on the mountain praying And then the next day, no boats had come and no boats had left, but yet Jesus was gone. So they get in some boats that finally do show up, and they row across the sea, and they find Jesus on the other side. And they're not dumb people. They ask Jesus, how the heck did you get here? Because no boats left. How did you get from this side to the other? Well, we know. He what? He walked on the water. But they couldn't understand it. They couldn't get it. And so that's where we pick up. And this is where he goes from 5,000 plus women, children, etc. And at the end of this chapter, in the next week, he's going to have 12. And one of them, he's calling the devil. Why? So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, he wasn't on their side of the uh, Sea of Galilee because he had already walked over. They didn't know it. When they saw he wasn't there, nor his disciples, they themselves, they got into small boats And they rode across to Capernaum and they found Jesus, seeking him, seeking Jesus. When they found him, verse 25, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Because They couldn't understand it. They had no idea how he could get from one side to the other so quickly. There were no boats that came across. So they knew that there was something special. I mean, they had all been filled with food, so much so from five loaves of bread that they had so much that they were exposed. Like they were um like a, like a tick you know about to burst they were they had plenty plus all this left over, and they want to know how he got over to the other side. You left us, they're thinking. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, what signs the bread multiplying the the uh fish multiplying." Not because you saw something, but because you ate something. You're seeking me because you ate loaves and were what? Filled. Basically, I hear Jesus saying, the only reason that you're interested in what I'm here to do is because I put food in your belly. Not because you saw what I was doing. The miracle of taking something minuscule and multiplying it for more than enough for everybody. You're only here because you were hungry. I gave you some bread and now you want some the next day, more bread. You're just here because you want your belly filled again is what I hear Jesus saying. And he says, verse 27, this is powerful. And I've got some of this emphasis in red, right? That I put in red to catch our attention. He says, do not work for the food which perishes. What food is food that perishes? Physical food, this bread. I mean, We've all seen that, right? We've all opened up the cupboard and we started to make a sandwich and we're like, oop, <laughs> no, I'm not making a sandwich today because it is all, you know, molded and, and gone, gone up, uh, perished. He says, don't work for that food, but work for the food which endures to eternal life. Now, why does he use the word work? We know in the new covenant that this isn't work, this is faith. Why does he use the word work? Well, I'm submitting to you because he's talking their language, their vernacular. They were all about working to get into the kingdom of heaven. They understood that. That was the Mosaic law. Work in in order to fulfill the Mosaic law so that they could have a chance of entering into the kingdom of heaven. So he uses this word work that they're very familiar with. Don't work for the food that perishes. Don't worry about this bread I'm putting into your belly. But there's another bread, another food which endures to eternal life. Work for that food which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God has rested his seal. His seal of what? His seal of approval. His seal of this is how I'm going to provide eternal life for humanity. So he says work not for bread that's going to perish, but there's another bread. Remember, all throughout John, he has gone from something physical to reveal something what? Spiritual. He's done it all John Long, right? Long Johns. He's done all John Long. He's done it the whole time from chapter 1 all the way here now to chapter 6. And he's going to keep doing it, by the way, as we move forward. But he did it with Lazarus. He did it with woman at the well. He did it with his disciples. He's been, he's been taking the physical and he's been using it to manifest something spiritual. And he's talking about a bread to work for that is spiritual, that's going to give you actual eternal life so if Jesus if you hear this guy say hey don't work for bread that perishes but work for another bread what's your natural question going to be probably the same natural question of theirs they said to him well what shall we do you said work for it tell us Jesus tell us so that we may and I put it in emphasis in red because they're thinking work these are Jews they're thinking what do I need to do these are religiously minded folk what must I do what give me the work what must we do so that we may work the works of God? So Jesus says, "Work not for the perishing, but work for the bread that's eternal." And they're like, "Absolutely. What does that work? So that we, tell us the work so we can do the works of God." Now there's that s right here. I don't know how you know uh, educated we are in English, but that means what? Plural, more than one. So they're like. I know we've got this uh, Moses thing of 613. Maybe that's what he's talking about. But whatever it is, we just saw this guy take one fish and turn it, one bread, five bread and turn it it into enough for everybody. You tell us the works of God. What do we need to do? And Jesus not only corrects their grammar. I was going to say English, but they were not speaking English. But he corrects their theology. Look at this next verse. So they want a list of works, plural. Got it? And here's Jesus' answer. He answered to them, he says, this is the work. Singular or plural? Singular. He's correcting their grammar, not an S, not plural, it's singular. But bigger than that, he's correcting their theology because they were wanting a list of things to do in order to do the works of God. What does God want me to do? And I'll do it. Give me the list. This is the work of God, singular. That's big time. That you, what? Believe in him whom he has sent. Here's the work of God. If you want the everlasting life, if you want to work for the everlasting life, Here's your work. Believe. You say, well, it can't be that simple. Look, I'm just the messenger. He's the one that come up with it. You believe in him whom God sent. Well, who is it that God sent? Well, we know that that's Jesus. They're not convinced of that. So we're going to go into a little bit of a conversation here of Jesus basically saying, I am that one. And if you want to do the work, singular, of God to have this eternal life, then you are going to have to realize that you are going to believe in me and what I've done, who I am, and what I've, for them, about to do, for us, has done already in the past to provide this life for you. So they say to him, because see, they're they're in this weird sort of in-between land. They've seen him do some amazing things. They know he's special, like Nicodemus. We know you're of God no one could do this stuff, but at the same time, they're so ingrained in their thinking of doing in order to be, and now this guy says, just believe, and so they're kind of pressing him on, How, who are you to say this? What, what do you mean? Give us a sign. What then do you do for a sign? They want a sign. This is the second or third time this idea of sign has come up in John. Jesus said in John four, he says that the the Jews are looking for signs, whereas the Samaritans they just simply what, believed. The woman at the well she just believed, but the others were looking for signs of miracles. So they say, "Give us a sign." Now I'm scratching my head on this, Jim, because what just happened earlier in the chapter? A sign? Yeah, bread, five loaves was enough to feed everybody. So I'm scratching my head like, is that not enough? I mean, I'm telling you what, Brandon, if you came up here and you did that right here, I'd be like, all right, that's a good sign. I wouldn't be like, hey, give me another sign. What's the deal? What are they asking this for? And he says, so that we may see and then what? Believe. See, that's the issue. They want to see so that they can believe. How many times? Well, it's at least one time. Later in Jesus's ministry, he says, blessed are those who believe and yet do not what? See, cuz that's faith. See, if if you see something and then believe it, that's not faith. That's just natural, like normal, like of course. I saw that car drive across the bridge, so I'm okay with driving my car across the bridge. That's not really faith. But if I built a bridge crossing the Mississippi River and I said, "All right, Jay, you drive you be the first to drive your car across it." That's some faith right there. You're exercising faith in my ability to build some bridge that I have no expertise in doing. That'd be, it'd be stupid, really, what it would be. But it'd be faith, right? Yeah, thank you. And so seeing something and then believing that something isn't faith. So, but that's how they wanted this to work. Give us some more signs. What work do you perform? Again, I'm scratching my head. They've Were they not alive yesterday on the other side? I mean, they just rode their boats across from having been fed yesterday. And so immediately, Jesus pivots. And whenever I use the word pivot, I don't know if there's any friends, uh, fans in the crowd, but I just always think of Ross. But, so I'll try not to think of Ross. But they immediately pivot to their forefathers. They, they want to talk about their heritage, the, the 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 people, the Jews here. They want to talk about how their fathers were eating the manna in the wilderness, and that was the sign for them being so special. Here Here's, I'll get to the next verse, verse 31. I'll read it, but here's what we got to see. They, based off of things that God did, signs that God did, the nation of Israel was very, understandably, very, Uh, proud in who they were. They were the chosen people of God. They were the ones that had the Passover, that God rescued them out of the hand of Egypt. They were the ones, we're getting to the wilderness here, who God fed for years, 40 years, with manna from heaven. We'll talk about what that means in a second. There were countless signs over and over in the Old Testament to demonstrate the power of God and his selection of these people as his people. And so it's like, they, we've got our signs, and they're going to start talking about their signs, the manna, which we'll talk about in a second. And there's, so they're like, we know who we are. Who are you? Who are you to say that there's another bread, a better bread? You see this? So it's a us versus you sort of hostility going on here. And so he said, they, they say to Jesus, our fathers, you, get, you pick up on that? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread to eat out of heaven to eat. I put gave in bold red because, again, I hate to bore you with English class. Present tense, future tense, past tense. What is that? Past tense, right? So they're talking about something that happened a long time ago in the wilderness. So what's this manna thing? Really, really quickly. When the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, they had nothing. I mean, they were slaves in Egypt. And so they came out, they had very little bit. In fact, all the gold that they had, remember, they melted down, they turned it into a calf. So they were even goldless after a while. And so uh, they had no food. They were in the wilderness, in the desert. And so as a measure, as a sign, but a measure of God's protection of them, every single night... From heaven, this bread would descend like dew, the scripture says, upon the grass. And in the morning, there would be bread, manna, on the ground that they would pick up and they would eat. It would be their food. The scripture, I think, talks about it tasting like honey wafer or something. It's very sweet to the taste, very enjoyable. And so they would ingest it and they would put it down into them. They would eat it. Manna is an awesome word in Hebrew, which is the language that they spoke in the Old Testament that literally means, what is it? Because they woke up one morning, and they were like, what is it? So if we were all Hebrews, and we were like, you know, hey, look at this, we would, and you didn't know what it was, you would say manna, in essence. What is it? I don't know what it is. Where did it come from? I don't know, but it's here. And so we're going to eat it. And they ate it every single morning. And in fact, I think on Friday, twice came, so they didn't have to pick any on Saturday, on the Sabbath. But here's the point. God provided for them every single day bread from heaven. And that was their, it starts with an S and ends with an I sign. It was their sign that we are select. We are important. We are prized people. We are Israel. So that's where they jump to. They immediately pivot to the fact that, hey, we know who we are. We've got this sign. He gave our Father's manna, bread from heaven. You think you're so special because you changed five loaves of bread into enough for all of us to eat, plus some... I mean, that is pretty cool, but check this. We got one up on you, Jesus. Our fathers had enough for 40 years. See this? See this conversation? Now look at this next verse, 32. Then Jesus said to them... I love it. They said he... What? Past tense. Gave. Gave. Here's what Jesus says. See, Jesus knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. Here's what Jesus says, truly, truly. In other words, listen up because I'm about to fill in some blanks here for you. I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you this bread out of heaven. It wasn't Moses who provided that for you in the wilderness, but my father, look at this, here's a pivot back. They were trying to pivot away. He's pivoting back. Who gives you true bread out of heaven. Now this gives past tense, present tense, future tense, what? Present tense. So Jesus isn't talking about wafers, honey-tasting wafers that fell from heaven. He's now talking about hundreds of years prior. He's talking about something right now. He says the true bread out of heaven. In other words, he's saying to them, yeah, I know that that was a pretty awesome sign because I was there. (laughs) And it wasn't Moses who made that happen for you. Moses was cool, but it wasn't from Moses that made that happen. And right now, the same God who provided that for your fathers years ago as a sign to provide you with something that you didn't work for, it was just there. Today, right now, that same father is the one who gives right now the true bread out of heaven And I'm sure they're scratching their head like, wait a second, that bread we ate yesterday wasn't out of heaven. It was out of your hand. What are you talking about? You see, hopefully you're picking up on this already. Jesus is going to nail it for us. Before we get there, who is Jesus talking about? Himself. It's exactly right. He is the sign. They want a sign. They want a sign that's better than their sign. And he's like, here am I. Well, he actually says it very plainly. For, uh, For, sorry, uh. Uh, for the bread of God, this is Jesus continuing. He's explaining. Remember, F O R. that always helps us understand the previous word, uh, uh, sentence. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. All right. See the parallelisms between what happened with Moses and the Egyptian uh, Israelites in the wilderness. Bread from heaven came down manna to give life to those people for 40 years. And it was great. They didn't work for it. It was fantastic. Plus quail. I think there was quail involved. And Jesus is saying, now there is bread. This bread from heaven is what comes down from heaven. And he's no longer talking about what happened hundreds of years prior as a sign, as a foreshadow of him. He's now talking about him. There's a new bread that comes out of the real bread, true Is another word, aletheia in the Greek. It just simply means the reality. That manna that you're so proud of was a mere shadow, a mere sign, a mere foreshadowing. But the true bread is something that now has come out of heaven to give life to the whole world. The whole world. Not just those Israelites walking around in the desert, but the whole world. Now, the Egyptians, uh, Israelites... I'll get my people groups correct. They're, they're, I'm convinced still thinking he's talking about physical bread. I'm convinced of it. Because that's what he gave them yesterday. That's what they're talking about with the what? From the forefathers. The manna. They're talking about physical stuff. They haven't pivoted to, to him. And so here's what he says. Or oh, they say. They say to Jesus. They say, Lord always give us this bread. They're like, you mean to tell me that there's another bread that we can keep eating? I think they're still talking physical. Give us this bread because we want to live f- forever. We want to eat. What do we need to eat? Give us this bread. You mean there's manna? In other words, think of it this way. These, I'll call them present day, you know, in the day that we're reading here in the book of John. These Jews, they, they memorialized their forefathers. They looked at their forefathers, maybe like we look at ours here in America, and they absolutely adored them, almost idolized them because of what they went through and how the Lord interacted with them on a personal level. They were the sons of of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. They memorialized these men, and maybe rightly so. They were great men. But here's what I think they're seeing an opportunity to be. They want to be those men. They want to be those men who get this manna off the ground so that their descendants memorialize them like they memorialize or honor, whatever the right word is, their ancestors. They want to be those people. They want to be the ones when they talk about the sign of the bread of heaven that gives life for all. Hey, people could talk about us in this case. I just don't think, I could be wrong, but I just don't think they're talking, they're thinking about physical uh, spiritual bread. I don't think they're talking about Jesus. I think they're talking about yeast and dough and, you know, the, re- the actual physical bread. And so Jesus drops the reality bomb on them. Look at this. Jesus says to them, guys, <laughs> I am the bread. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me Will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I think Jesus is saying that arguably the greatest sign of Israel's past, the manna from heaven, arguably the greatest sign was all pointing to him. This guy, Jesus, on this scene in John chapter six, he's either a megalomaniac or he is God in the flesh. He is literally saying that everything that you honor and and adore even idolize in your past is is really about me. That's a bold statement. It's hard for us as gentiles to kind of pick up on that. But if your whole culture was set on idol I, I don't say idolizing like in necessarily a bad way but just memorializing and 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 honoring and respecting this these signs that happened in the wilderness And then this guy shows up and says, hey, all of that, that this culture really centers itself around and prides itself on, all that's really about me. I am that bread of life. That'd be challenging to swallow if we were honest. Now, for us, we're like, rock on. He is the bread of life. But for them, again, let's put ourselves in their shoes. As they used to say, them some fighting words. And fighting, they did. So let's keep reading. Either megalomaniac or God in the flesh. Oh, and I am, I, I highlighted that because remember what God said to um, Moses, the burning bush? He said, Who is it shall I say that sent me? And his answer was, I am who I am. And if you take that Hebrew statement, I am, I am, and turn it into the Greek, it's the very same phrase. Ego, a me, in the Greek, I am. And so just by him saying I am, it's flashing declaration to these Jews that he is saying that he is not only the bread of heaven, but he's the God of heaven. So he says, but I say to you, I'm the bread, and if you believe me, you'll have eternal life, but I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Why does he say, see me? They're looking for a sign. And Jesus is saying, I am that sign. I am the fulfillment of every single sign that I, the bread of heaven, have come out of heaven onto this earth, just like the shadow was thousands, hundreds of years before in the wilderness when the manna would come out of the sky. I am the sign. And you've seen the sign. So don't tell me that you need to see a sign. You've seen the sign, and yet you don't believe. You see that? So verse 37, Jesus explains this a little bit, and he just, he's like poking a bear here. He's like stirring the pot uh, because they're already, and we're going to get into their real, the height of their anger next week. But he says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. You're looking for a sign. You're rejecting me. But whomever the the Father sends me, I'm not going to send away grace. This is the will. uh, For I, sorry, have come down from heaven. That's what the bread did. The manna came down out of heaven. Jesus saying, that's me. I have come down out of heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. I'm here to do God's will. And remember, when we think of the word will... We think of, you know, someone's desire, what they want to do, but let's always in the scripture think of like what we call the last will and testament, what you put together before you die. And that's what God established before Abraham hundreds and hundreds of years before this. And Jesus is saying, God's will is for me to enact, inaugurate his will. And so this is the will of him who sent me. Here's his will, verse 39, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. My job, if you will, I'm here to whatever the Father gives me. I'm going to keep it. It's going to be mine, and I'm going to raise it up on the last day. What is he talking about, raising up on the last day? There's a lot of different thoughts and options and, and debates on what he's talking about. Well, Certainly, some would say, well, last day, that's talking about like something that's yet to happen. I would be more in the camp of... Looking at the last day like Hebrews looks at the last day, Hebrews says that the culmination of the ages, the ending of the ages was when Jesus was crucified. But that's past tense. How could that be the culmination of the age? Because that was the end of what we call the Adamic race. That's when he plunged the entire Adamic race, everything that came from Adam, into death so that those who believe in him would be raised new creations from a new place, from heaven itself. Paul says, Jerusalem above is our mother. We are citizens of another place now in Christ, here as ambassadors. And so Jesus is saying, I think that's the last day he's talking about. He's talking about his death. Whoever the Lord Father gives me, I'll raise up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father that everyone who beholds the son sees him and believes him will have everlasting life. They wanted to see a sign and Jesus is saying, there is no greater sign than me. All signs point to me. In a couple of verses, we'll see him say, this is the bread of life. And I just, you know, those t-shirts, you know, like two thumbs, who's got two thumbs? You know, he's like, this is the bread of life. So whoever sees me, I'm the sign, and believes me will have everlasting life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So believing Jesus gives you eternal life. But Jesus says that he's the bread of heaven. So how does this believing this bread of heaven, how does that work? How does it actually give you eternal life? Well, real quickly, let's go back to uh, uh, the, the wilderness with Israel. All of the manna came down from heaven. The morning you woke up, you saw the sign. But what did those people have to do in order to derive life from that sign? What did they have to do? They had to eat it. They had to eat it. That was their work. Here's the work, Israel. Eat the manna. And so there had to be an a receiving of that bread into them in order for that bread. It would have just, in fact, wasn't it true that if the bread was left a certain time, it would go bad and they couldn't use it the next day. It was the bread for that day. So they couldn't just store it up except for on Friday. So they couldn't, so they didn't have to do it on Saturday as well. But I am the bread of heaven. Oh, so uh, skip the verse, didn't I? Uh, So, so how does this bread That's eternal life that Jesus is talking about. How does it get in? Well, just as the Israelites from years ago had to actually eat it to get in, Jesus is going to draw the exact parallelism that this bread of heaven has to get in. It's not enough that you just see it, but you have to believe it so that it comes in. It being him coming in you, just like your fathers in in Egypt. Uh, in, in In the wilderness, the bread had to come in them. So you now seeing the sign, this bread, me, has to come in you. This life has to come in you. So verse 41, therefore the Jews were grumbling about him. Why? Because he said, I am the bread that comes out of heaven. I'm telling you, these are fighting words. You are not the bread that our forefathers ate. How dare you say that? you megalomaniac. You think all this is about you, the egotistical dimwit. What are you thinking? You're the bread that came out of heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? There's the first mistake. They thought that Joseph was his father. See, they're looking at the flesh. You see, if you don't believe, if somebody doesn't believe, struggles to believe that Jesus is Virgin born, born not of man. I just don't know if the gospel is being believed. Because if he is born of a man, then they know where he comes from. But the sign of the Messiah, we'll get into in a second, is that they didn't know where he came from. Just like the what that fell from the heavens. Manna, what is it? Jesus is the fulfillment. Of, what is it? How did this guy get here? He is the manna, the bread of heaven. How did it get here? But they're saying, no, no, no. We know your genealogy. We know your daddy. It's Joseph, mistake number one, whose father and mother we know. How does he say that I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered them. He said, hey, look, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Didn't he already say this? He did. He sang it over and over because it's what they can't understand. And he's, he's revealing to them their lack of understanding of what this whole manna and the signs really it really are. No one can do this. And I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me now look again we cannot appreciate just how incite inciting these words are he is saying if you really knew the father then you would come to me well who's the last person they're going to come to jesus because they don't understand him they don't get it their whole system is about doing the works give us the works, so that we can do works in order to get into this eternal life thing this whole thing of Jesus, God coming as a man, was just totally missed by them. And Jesus is just driving it clear. If you really listened and learned from God and learned of God, you would come to me because, I, because I'm of him. I am the bread of eternal life. Man, that is fighting. 46, Not that anyone has seen the Father, which they would agree with. But here, again, I mean, it's just like punch after punch after punch. I'm the bread. I'm the sign that you pride yourself on. That's all about me. If you really believe God, you would come to me, punch number two. And here's another punch. He says, no one has seen the Father except for me. (laughs) I mean, can you see this? Like You haven't even seen him, but I have. Who the heck are you, Jesus, son of Joseph, to say these things? No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. And so he's saying that the one who came from the Father, he himself has seen the Father. You haven't. And so Jesus is basically saying, you Israelites, You guys have prided yourself on thinking you know all this stuff about God because you have the Mosaic law. Jesus is saying, if you really understood, he said this last week or two weeks ago when uh, uh, Derek was speaking, if you really believed Moses and his law, then you would believe me. You would come to me. But because you don't believe Moses, you don't believe me. And so he is saying this basic same thing again. If you... It, it, you think you know the Father? Look, I have, no, I not only know him, I have seen him, I have been sent from him, and you rejecting me is you rejecting the Father. Truly, I say to you that he who believes has eternal life. Believes what? Believes that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the, the signs of the Old Testament, that the whole point of God's work amongst the Israelites was a foreshadow of the Christ himself who would come to set people free. Jesus, he's saying that Passover, yeah, that was about me. Pentecost, that was about me. All the other festivals and feasts, that's all about me. The law, in essence, is all about me. You not being able to do it, me being able to do it. And if you believe in me, I give you fulfillment of the law as a gift of righteousness. So you just believe, you believe that I am and you will have this eternal life. But how? How does this life that he calls the bread that has come down from heaven, how does it get into them? He says, you believe, but there's something that happens. And here's where he begins to explain it, but he explains it to people whose minds are set on the physical and they can't understand the spiritual And so they just reject them. They don't see the spiritual reality. They can only wrap their minds around the physical reality. And so they reject it. He says plainly, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate. Here's our emphasis, ate. How did your fathers get life from the bread? They ate, they ingested it. They received it into themselves, the manna in the wilderness. And yet they what? die. So that manna wasn't even eternal. It was for the day. This, here's those two thumbs, this is the bread. You see that? This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it. Whoa, that's weird. May eat of it and not die. So your forefathers ate manna that my father sent, and you died. Now you have the chance to actually be a part of what that was all the foreshadow of. That if you eat this bread, you will not die. Verse 51: I am the living bread that came out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, so he's, he's speaking their language. They ate the bread, and they well they lived for a day, but but they died eventually. But now the real, the real bread is here. M- I myself, you eat of me this bread and you will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh? Flesh? Wait a minute, Jesus. So just as their forefathers had to eat manna in the wilderness to receive its life for that day, that is to say they had to get the bread into them to receive the help and the nutrition of the bread. Now Jesus is saying that we must get him inside of us in order for him to bring us life. But the physical and the spiritual are being conflated and confused. Verse 52, just a few more verses here. Then the Jews, they began to argue with one another and they're thinking physical. How can this man give us his flesh To eat, you see, they're thinking physical, and if that's what Jesus was talking about, I'd be like with them. I'm out, not like Jeffrey Dahmering this guy. Like this is not going to happen. So they're confused. How is he going to give us his flesh? He he just saw. They just saw Jesus multiply the bread and the and the fishes, fishes fish, and I'm sure they're like thinking, is he going to do that with his own body? We got to take a chunk of his body and eat it. What what is happening? So, Jesus doesn't explain what he's saying. He doubles down on what he's saying. Why? Because his time had not yet come. You see, if he reveals it all in super simple terms before the cross, then what's the point of the cross? See, he is is taking them to the point at which uh, it's a confusion, it's a lack of understanding, But all pointing to him being the greater sign, the greater reality than anything their forefathers had and is blowing their minds they can't compute. And so he just doubles down. He says, so he said to them, right? So means because of what just happened. So they're like flesh, eat his flesh. So Jesus, knowing what they're confused about, he doubles down. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man. And unless you drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. Now, again, they're just probably losing their bread. They ate the previous day thinking, we've got to eat this guy and drink this guy. What is this? He who eats my flesh, so he gets personal. He, he is saying, he said here, the son of man, which is a reference that Ezekiel makes to the Messiah. And then the very next verse, he says, unless you eat my flesh. So he is saying very plainly, he is the son of man. He is the Messiah. Unless you eat, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on this last day. Do you think that the people were like, hey, sure, is this, you know, how do we do this? Let's, let's get this uh, underway. No. He has one more sentence or two here. He says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. I hear Jesus saying that, you know how all of this from the beginning has existed? Food, drink, that we're hungry three times a day. We eat three times a day. And there's food that we put in and we chew it and we eat it and we swallow drink. You know that system? You know that, how, how I created that back in the garden with man, animals, everything? You know that whole system of, you know, eating that we're kind of familiar with? I hear Jesus saying that that whole system exists to show you me, Jesus is saying. That I, in my bread, my life, which is who's talking about myself, I must get in you. That's what he's getting at. I must get in you, Uh, which we just saw in the... Oh, there it is. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, we know that Jesus is not talking physical flesh and physical blood. How do we know that? Fortunately, we have the rest of the apostles and their teaching and how they explain these things post the cross and the resurrection. But they didn't have that. They were, their minds were set on the physical and what they needed to do to do the works of God. And Jesus is saying, here's the work of God, believe. And how do you believe? You believe by eating me. Come again? We have to what you? Oh yeah, and drink my blood. And so the Jews who were hearing this, they couldn't handle it. Jesus says, as the father The living Father sent me, and as I live because of the living Father, he who eats me, he also will live because of me. So the Father is alive. I'm alive because of the Father. And if you eat me, you receive me into yourself, you will live because of the Father. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. He's explaining it. That whole bread in the wilderness, it was all foreshadowing. This is the reality of it. Not as the fathers ate and died. That was a shadow to tell you something bigger was coming. He who eats this bread, again, I see him, two thumbs pointing to himself, will live forever. Now, how do you think this goes over with the Jews? Any thoughts? Not well? They definitely think this guy's crazy because he's saying, if you want to go to heaven, in essence, then, you know, uh, meet me at, you know, 7-Eleven Piggly Wiggly and I'll, you know, buy some of my flesh and drink some of my blood and you're in. This is wild. This is crazy. This makes no sense. But he was uh, rocking their world or their whole thinking that life, eternal life was going to be something that they could produce from themselves. They thought that they could produce it by an obedience from themselves, from the the inside out, trying to perform righteousness and become righteous. And what Jesus is saying is, no, righteousness, life, etc., it's something that must come into you. And he uses a very, very uh, graphic way of describing it that was established for the forefathers of Israel in the wilderness as a sign to him being the fulfillment of that sign that we must believe and receive him, not physically eat his body, but to receive him into us. There's a verse that I meant to begin with that Paul writes in the book of Colossians chapter 1. And he says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is your hope of glory. Hope of glory. What does that mean? What does that look like? Your hope of honor, your hope of of prestige, your hope of, of, of weightiness, of significance. Your hope is Christ in you. And if Christ isn't in you, then you have no hope of glory. Well, how do we get Christ in us? It's by faith, it's by believing. And he is introducing this topic using this foreshadowing sign from the Israelites years ago to say, just as they ate the bread and it came into them, you must receive me into you to have this life. The life comes from the one who has the eternal life. The father is the living father. I live because he lives. And if you want to live, you live by me, me coming in you. And so the journey marker this morning is in, in order to have eternal life, to have eternal life, requires the eternal life living in you. You see, the the world of religion tries to get us to think that we can produce the works of God. We can do enough goodness. We can do enough righteousness. We can do enough kindness in order to earn a spot in heaven. And what Jesus is plainly saying to them is like, look, your forefathers, they died trying that system. We can go to their graves. They're dead. But a new system has come that if you receive the eternal life, the bread of heaven, the true bread, then you yourself will have eternal life. You see, the crowd couldn't handle it. They couldn't take the pivot. They couldn't take the transition from the physical to the reality. The reality for them was the physical, what they could touch, feel. But the reality for God is not the physical It's the spirit. It's the spiritual world. It's the kingdom of heaven. Now we're going to continue next week and we're going to pick up on how they reject Jesus because they think he's inviting them to actually eat his body and actually drink his blood. They don't see the spiritual reality that the person and the work of Jesus in the spirit must be in them. So how does that work? How does the work in the person of Jesus Christ, how does that enter into us? It enters into us by doing the work of God. And what did Jesus say the work of God is? You just read it. We just saw it on the screen. That we believe in him who was sent by God. It's simple faith. The work of God that God requires of us is to believe. So, what is your hope of glory? Like, what is your hope of a significance, of a weightiness? In your life? What is your hope to be able to one day stand before God physically in person and Him accept you as He accepts His own self? What is your hope? Is your hope of glory your marriage here on earth? Is it your family? Is it the way in which you raised up your kids, your ability to take one dollar and turn it into two without a printer, by the way? What is your hope for dignity, your hope of honor? Is your hope of honor your children obeying you and becoming productive members of society? Is your hope of glory getting into the right school, getting the right degree, getting the right career, getting the right house, the right spouse that has no mouse or louse? It's my Dr. Seuss tribute. You know, if you were in Vegas, I've never been to Vegas. I like the movies, you know. Looks like a cool place. But if you had to put all of your money, all of your chips on one thing for your hope of glory, your hope of eternity, your hope of eternal life, where would you place your chips? Would you place your chips in your your decency, being a decent human being? Would you place your chips on being a volunteer, even at a fire department, risking your life for the souls of others? Would you place your chips on the service to the poor, to the widows, to the orphan? Where would you place your money? You had one bet. You had put all your money on your hope of eternal life, your hope of glory. Where would you put your money? You see, Here's where the religious of Jesus's day were putting their money for their future, their hope of their glory. It was in these two places. One, it was who their daddy's daddy's daddy daddy was, their heritage. And it was, number two, their ability to pull off the Mosaic law. That's what these Jews that we find in John chapter 6, that's where their money was. That's where their chips were. We're putting our hope of our glory on who our daddy's daddy, daddy is and, and also we will add to that some of our ability to do the Ten Commandments and the rest of the laws. But Jesus comes and shows the hey guys, everything that happened to your daddy's daddy's daddy, everything that that law is all about, here's those thumbs. It's all about me. And so if you're putting your chips on what their experience was and your heritage and what you can do to morally live up to some sort of standard, hey, you're free to do that, but I'm not going to raise you up on the last day. Unless you're born again, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is now on the scene saying, if you don't put all your money on me, on what I've come to do, then you will not have eternal life living in you because Jesus is saying, I am that life. And unless I live in you, you will not live. And so what is he calling them to do? He's calling them to change their mind, to change their mind about where they're putting their chips. I mean, there's a biblical word for this, changing your mind. Anybody know it? Repent. Just change your mind. He's saying, guys, you're putting your hope for your glory in all these things that are pointing to me. How silly. I'm here. I am the sign. And so for us today, I just encourage you, where are we putting our money? When it really comes down to it, what are we putting our hope in for the ability to stand before God and be accepted just as he accepts his own son? What are we putting our hope in? What are we, where do we place our hope of glory? Where do we place our hope, our honor, of honor, of dignity, of significance? If we place our hope in anything other than Jesus being in us, then we are sadly mistaken. But what about Jesus plus? We got some Jesus chips, but Jesus plus our ability to perform A certain way, to behave a certain way. Our hope is in our Jesus plus our ability to do the Ten Commandments or anything else. You know what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, and we've taught it many times here. In Romans chapter 7, Paul basically says, guys, you can do that. You can go back and forth to the law and to Jesus. I mean, you can do that, sure, but here's basically what he says. He says, flirting with Moses and the Ten Commandments and that whole system of doing in order to be, flirting with Moses is cheating on Jesus. So do you want to be a spiritual adulterer? (laughs) No. Then we place all of our chips on the one who is life. Is the law life? is a system of behavior management life? No. It's Jesus. And I'm telling you guys, don't you don't have to believe me, but I hope that you consider this that Jesus really is enough to lead you into godliness, godly behavior. He is enough. It's what the apostles taught. Peter teaches in 2 Peter chapter 1 That because we have this eternal life, Christ himself, the bread of heaven, because we have him living in us, we already have everything we need to live godly lives. We don't need plus other things. Jesus is enough. The apostles taught it. Jesus is teaching it. It's been lost through thousands of years of church history. But if the one who is eternal life, the one who is God, Jesus Himself, is living in us because we have believed and received, what else do we need? What else do we need? How many times did the Galatians, the people in Galatia, how many times did they successfully read through the Bible each year? Every time, Jim. No. <laughs> Why? Why did the Galatians not read the Bible each year? Because it did not been put together yet. eh? But the majority of the of the Christians believers in Galatians were Phrygian slaves who had no education to even read. Now, am I saying don't read the Bible? No, that's not what I'm saying. But Christ in you is the Word. And if we forget that, then we become, we become nothing more than Bible idolaters, worshiping a book rather than realizing the man, the God-man, who now lives in us. He is enough. And the scripture all points to him. So let's read the scripture. Let's teach out the scriptures week in and week out. But it's all about him living in us. That's all I have for this morning. we going to wrap up chapter six next week, uh, where they kind of, respond to Jesus and basically call him a fool for uh, saying that you got to eat. And they all leave him. They all leave him. So this guy who had thousands following him at the end of the chapter has 12, and one of them is, he, Jesus calls the devil. Not your church growth strategy, if you had one. Right? Case study, I guess. Is the of it. So before we take off, uh, any thoughts or questions or comments or what else or um, whatever's in, in what we've seen here in John chapter 6,
2: yeah. earlier in your teaching you said something about, at some point they said, Jesus, how did, how did you get here? Yeah. You started on the, the boat. So maybe, so I was kind of, that kind of formed a picture in my mind about uh, the idea of, of how does Jesus come to us? Yeah. How, where's the combination of or the, the togetherness? And they were like, so then that question might be, how does Jesus come to us? Right. Yeah. How do you get aside other side? If this is a shadow of the picture. Right. And then I was just reflecting a little on that. They were there by themselves, and he was not. And he came to them from all the water, mm-hmm. and he came into the boat. Right. And then we learned that by seeing and reading. Mm-hmm. And once he was there, he was in the boat, they saw him, and I his, his very presence, how could you deny that he was present? Yeah. Yeah. And then immediately the work they were doing was finished yeah. because they were then on the other yeah. side. Yeah. And it is, it is a picture of. Yeah. I earlier in my Christian life we tell people how I came to believe, really, and it, it was a lot more extensive than it is now of what I did. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it's kind of heart searching for me to, to reflect on that, uh, all inclusive, yeah. the work yeah. of God. Jesus and, and uh, I don't know that it necessarily says they help him. Yeah. I did I was they, saw yeah. they and he present with them they saw
1: something right. and they acknowledged Yeah. Him. It said they received him into the boat. Yeah. Okay. So there's that beautiful picture, just like John says in John one, to as many as received him, to them he gave the rights to become sons of God. And so that's what you see in the boat. They received him in, and immediately they were there. And then that's a great point, where they say, how did you get here, you know, and it's a week today, how do you explain how the God of the universe actually goes in us? How do you explain that? Get, it's not really something to explain. We can, we can outline it some, and we can talk some theology, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's matter. What is it? How does this work? How did he get in here? What is this law? Like James Barron says, if your Christianity doesn't have some element of how can these things be, then you probably don't have true Christianity. And uh, but it's say, like, how can this be? How can He love us this way? How can He, you know, uh, dwell in me, the Spirit in the flood, in the body? How does this? How does this work? And I I think they're intriguing, and we can discuss these things. But at the end of the day, I think it's uh, uh, I don't need to know how, but I gladly receive it like a child. That kid doesn't know how the car works, but they love getting in it and taking a ride. I don't really know how it works either, but I'm saying they, they just enjoy it. Yeah. He's there. Awesome. Any thoughts?
2: Yeah, mom.
1: Yeah. I don't think that they were putting
2: their trips on. Yeah. You know, they really thought. They were going to end up with glory, I think. They were power seekers, and they were just like people before we received Christ, are dead. So, um, I just think they were huge power players, Sure, how they can rise through the ranks and dominate people. Yeah, yeah. look at me versus look at him. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, they, they really, I don't really believe that
0: they cared about believing in God or having life with Him, but they were building their own little kingdom on earth. And yeah, well, they certainly were physically minded for sure. Yeah, And the king that, that David's kingdom
1: would rush up uh, would be reestablished on earth for sure, uh, without cutting. Yeah. Yeah interesting how you know, Jesus
2: really drives this conversation because he says, you know, they come to him and he basically says, oh, you just came for the food, mm-hmm. which, you know, part of me goes, yeah, he fed him yesterday, but, you know, they're all following before that because of the miracles and mm-hmm. the other things and at the very end of the last day they're about to come and make him yeah, Messiah right, because they're yeah. looking for that physical right. Messiah. So, so I guess, it, to me, it was really Jesus, you know, turning the conversation onto that yeah. and maybe it was even Teaching them a hard truth and diffuse in that situation even more from the day before because they not left them at the end of that. <laughs>
1: right, yeah. Yeah, it's a, It's yeah. It's using the physical to manifest the spiritual. And uh, but for some, I think it connected, you know, like Nicodemus, you know, I think he's really picked up on it. But many others, you know, who do you think you are? You know, our fathers were the ones, you know.
2: Well like I mean, like we were seeing in chapter five. Um, whether they're the Pharisees or just the Jews in general, they're all about lifting each other up, up off of their own actions, off of their own glory instead of living in the glory of God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely a paradigm shattering time for, for people, which is why they rejected it, you know. And I'm just I just don't want to remove ourselves too much our thinking. Our, Tree of the knowledge of good and evil thinking from from the, the the picture because we tend to think that same same way that if we would do the works of God then we would have a better spot a better place a better you know uh, position etc. And I hear Jesus saying that's 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 how you you think in the flesh but there's another reality in the spirit and it's called life and whether you have it or not. Is all that matters. Do you have life? And if you don't have it, here's how you get it. It's not by wafers in the desert, it's about me receiving me into yourself. And I bring with me life, and that's your of glory. Not your forefathers who ate wafers. That was coming to me, what I've come to do. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. How's it-
2: I see, you know, Jesus is speaking to the crowd, and they have problems with what what he's saying. And Jesus earlier, in John 3, had said that if you believe, you're not judged. If you don't believe, you're judged already. And this is the judgment that men love the darkness rather than the light, and they would not come to the light. So here they are. They're already judged. And the judgment is they won't come to the life. Because they they will not believe. By the only way you get to the light is you believe. Yeah. And it's given to you that they get and Jesus said it in another place that uh, you know, but they thought they had like Moses and the uh, all, you know, mm-hmm. That was their life or their mm-hmm. revelation. And they had hung their head off. And Jesus says in another place, if the light that is in you is darkness, mm-hmm. how great is that darkness? Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I saw. Yeah, they,
1: they, yeah I just had, and, when, you, when you brought up the darkness idea, like we use the word today, shadow. Where the, the, the manna, the whole system, the whole, all the stuff in the Old Testament, those shadows of the Christ. And if, if you think of a shadow, the shadow is dark. It's a darkened area uh, as a reflection that, because of the light being blocked by the, the substance that's casting the shadow. And how cool is that? That even that we can see you love the darkness, you love the shadow. But there's something bigger than the shadow. There's a thing that's casting that shadow. And you won't come to me. You won't come to enjoy the fulfill the thing that casted that shadow, the, the man in this case. You won't come to the reality because you just love that shadow so much. Because what you think that shadow offers you. And that shadow offers you nothing except a reflection of the real deal. And if you don't come to the real deal, then you're just going to be lost you're in the shadow. The darkness. That's cool. I never saw that. The darkness as perhaps a reference to the shadows of the Old Testament uh, types of Christ. You know, the shadows of the Christ. Um, that's cool. I have to tip on that more. Anything else? Good stuff. I it. Right on. And like for us, again, we talking about the Bible. You know, the Bible is the, uh, an amazing... God-inspired tool to get us to, to know him, to, to, to read about him, to get to know him better? Absolutely. But re- logging hours in a book is not what gives us life. And, and that, that could be a, a loving the shadow, loving the darkness concept, as opposed to coming into the light of, wow, this guy is in us. I was at a customer's house. And they had taken a trip recently to Israel, and they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they were just so enamored of the fact that they were standing with Jesus sweat blood and was kneeling and praying and all this sort of stuff. And that's cool. Don't get me wrong. If you want to pay for me to go there, I'll go. But um, I just thought the whole time. I thought the whole time, right I was like, "But dear sister, he's in you." He is in you right now. You don't have to travel to some garden in the Middle East to get a feeling of Jesus was here because he was in the airplane, in you. He was in customs, in you. He was right now in this conversation, in you. And that's what we forget, don't we? We forget that. That's the gospel. And it's easy to forget. I need to get more of him. And Jesus said, saying, you eat of me, you, eat my, you receive me, I am in. And I will never... Asked him what? Wow. remember that? So cool, so cool. But the tight turns—they don't—they're not—they're not like wow, this is awesome. <laughs> they have a different response, and we'll get into that next week. All right. Well, let's go ahead and stand up, and we pack up our stuff, and Yolanda show us how to do that, and I uh, hope he's, uh, this dismissed. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for our time together today. I thank you for how much you do love us, how much you suffered. You know, we didn't get into it just for time, but I think also that receiving the flesh and the blood, I think it's also a reference to the the sacrificial work of Jesus, that it wasn't earthly domination that brought in the kingdom of heaven. It was a death of God that brought in the spirit the kingdom of heaven. So unless we change our minds from thinking earthly domination to earthly death and escape into another kingdom, we won't be raised up on the last day. So with receiving Christ, we receive death to this world, crucifixion to this world, the ending of our life and our origin in this world because you have brought us into a better place. Jerusalem above is our mother. That's where we are from now because of Jesus. We have so much to learn, so much to understand. But Father, may our Mm -hmm. biggest and best, if you will, goal in this thing we call the Christian life be to just get to know your love for us, to get to know you and your love for us. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Awesome, guys. Have a great (laughs) week.
0: Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.